may be seated. Well, if you've been around for a little while, you perhaps know that for some time now, a number of weeks, I think this is the sixth in the series, I began a consecutive expository series subtitled, Seeing Jesus Together in the Gospel of Luke. Seeing Jesus together in the Gospel of Luke. That's why we assemble here on the Lord's Day together to see our Lord lifted up and exalted and to exalt Him and praise Him and particularly to be fed by His Word. And in this case, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And our scripture reading today picks up in the second chapter of Luke. Uh, we had Christmas in June, last week, uh, the Nativity, and now we're going on to what some might see as something not quite as exciting, but if we look more closely, we'll see the importance of this as well, this portion that Dr. Luke gives us. Luke chapter 2. Verses 21 through 38 is our scripture reading. You can read from your uh, pew Bible, from your Bible that you have brought, or from your device, or on the screen. But either way, remember, this is the word of the Lord. Hear it with very careful appreciation. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy. To the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, 
This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up in that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The grass withers, the flower fades. Word of God abides forever. Let's ask His blessing upon this reading of His Word. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, once again, we come to learn from you. Father, send your Spirit to give us discernment, to help us understand the things that you have written in your Holy Word. Father, may today we learn something more about you something more about your beautiful son, something more about your spirit's work. Father, we ask now these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you were here last week, in Luke's story, now... One week has passed since that first Christmas night when the angels filled the skies over Bethlehem and they announced Christ's birth to the amazed shepherds who then ran gleefully to find the newborn Savior King lying in a manger. Now, that was some pretty stimulating stuff, don't you agree? That's some pretty amazing stuff. What if you had been there seeing that? What those shepherds saw? What happened that night so long ago? But the truth be known, not all passages in the Bible are on the surface as thrilling, are they? There are some things, particularly, especially in places in the Old Testament sometimes, where we're just trying to figure out what's going on. It, or, or if it's going on, what, what significance does this have? This seems to just be a lot of things that don't seem to make a lot of sense to us. Well, today's passage seems to be cluttered with a lot of mundane details about Jewish law-keeping and difficult-to-understand rituals. 
And if we're honest, especially us, us preachers and those who teach and preach God's Word or, or teach Bible studies, um, sometimes we might be tempted, if we're honest, to skip over some of those more difficult passages, or or maybe not difficult, just just hard to understand and seemingly have no relevance to what's going on. Indeed, some people do skip over troublesome passages. But by the way, that's why I preach the way I do. Because it makes me Preaching consecutive expository messages as a whole, that makes you stay and stay glued to the text, even if it's not as easy to understand, but to carry forward. And if we will dive in, hopefully today we'll see there is more here than might appear on the surface. So think on this. Luke included three stories in his gospel. Three stories or accounts of Jesus' childhood. And this is one of them. This one has more content than any of them. This episode contains remarkable truth about our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this transition to the next chapter, Luke gives us an interesting summer, summary. Not, not this week, but I'm kind of jumping ahead to the first verse and the next time in this series. When it says this, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee into their town of Nazareth. They're still down in Bethlehem now, but they're going to end up going back to Nazareth. And again, but notice that Luke says, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. They were not going to just say, hey, I think I'll just flip this and put my finger here and say, oh, that's what I'm going to read today. No. They took it all as God's word, and so should we. Also, Jesus himself would later say, when he was in his adult years in ministry, he would say, both in Matthew 5, 17, and in Luke 16, 17, he said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish but to fulfill them. And then in Luke 16, 17, Luke said, Jesus said, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one dot of the law become void. Easier it will be, Jesus using a metaphor, but he said it would be easier for the heavens and the earth to pass away than one part of God's holy word, his truth, to be forgotten or unappreciated. So, 
Today, here's our outline. Today's outline for the presentation, and that's the message here. Um, the presentation goes like this. The sacrifice, the Savior, and the sword. And there's your alliteration for the day. The sacrifice, the Savior, and the sword. All right. The sacrifice, that's in basically verses 22 through 24. Now, Mary and Joseph were godly parents. They loved the Lord. They were submissive to him. They were trying to do things that would please him. And they wanted to do what God required, no matter how much trouble or inconvenience it was to them. And five times they did something for their son Luke says, in accordance of the law. Five times, Luke just sits right on the button, just keeps pressing the button. 22, 23, verse 24, 27, and 39. Five times, he says they did this according to the law of the Lord. Now, the first thing they did was to have their child circumcised. This rite of circumcision, many of you know, of course, goes back to the time of Abraham. Abraham was given the sign of the covenant in circumcision. And he was also to give it to his children, his male children, to show that he too, they too, were part of God's covenant. This rite, like I say, goes all the way back to Abraham. And God commanded, going forward, each Hebrew boy to have this sign to say and to make a statement to the world that we are different because we are God's people. Of all the people of the world, we are God's people, chosen people. And then the second observance, after the circumcision, which, by the way, was normally at that time done at home. That would have been a week later, after Jesus' birth, eighth day, there was a specific reason for that and help the reasons for that I won't don't have time to go into but it's a fascinating if you wanted to look at that more carefully it's amazing how God knew exactly when would be the best for mom and for for the for the uh, child uh, to undergo that procedure and so the second observance now was Mary herself and her purification because it took 40 days after the birth of a son. And then at the end of that 40 days, this ritual was designed to keep her and the baby, to keep them both away from contact of people and other daily routines that might create a difficult bringing the child to, um, to, to, to fullness and to health. And so there was a cooling off period, a, a ritual uncleanness, but that was a way also of providing and protecting. It had a very positive effect. And yet at the end of it, it was it was to be then they would make a journey, a long journey, <laughs> no, only about a six-mile journey, they would go, on that 40th day, they would go 
from Bethlehem, just a little ways straight north, almost due north, to Jerusalem and to the temple. The family took that short trip from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to present their firstborn child in the temple. And so they were going to present their covenant son who had the sign of circumcision and they were now going to present him to the Lord in the temple. Now, with finally, in the process, with her ritual completed, Mary presented Jesus in temple recognition uh, recognition that he belonged to God. And then she also presented a sin offering of two doves. Now, if they had been wealthy, if the Mary and Joseph had been wealthy, they would have they would have the law commanded a lamb to be slain along with birds. But if you were poor, you would be allowed just to bring two birds, two pigeons or doves. And that's the case with Mary. Now, all this all this confirms what Paul says in Galatians 4.4. Christ, he said, was born under the law. That's a way of saying he was one of us. And he came to fulfill all righteousness. To go through and meet all of the arduous requirements for us. It was done ultimately, not because he needed it, but it was done so that he would be the perfect second Adam. The first Adam blew it. Jesus came into this world to be the second Adam and to fulfill where Adam and Eve failed. He came to fulfill all righteousness. That already, when I said earlier that passage in, in Matthew 5, do not think I've come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill. And so, This next section that we look at is the Savior, and that's verses 25 through 32. Now, meanwhile, remember they're going up to have this, to get the, Jesus to be uh, presented in the temple as, as unto the Lord, to be redeemed and presented in the temple, and Mary to bring the sacrifice, sin offering. Meanwhile, there was this guy by the name of Simeon. And a lot of people think of Simeon as a real, real old dude. He may not have been. We don't know. We just assume he was old. And maybe he was old, but we really don't know that. Now, we know his friend Anna, we're going to talk to you a little bit later, we know she was old. But we don't know that about Simeon. This man, Simeon, is busy scurrying all about the temple. He's, he's got his hair on fire about something. So, so, and he seems to be looking and searching 
for something intensely. And all of a sudden, he sees what he's looking for. He recognizes Jesus when his parents bring him in. Now, folks, this, this guy, Simeon, has been looking for Jesus for a long, long time. How do we know that? God told him that he would not die until he sees the Lord's Christ. And so who knows for how long? 20, 30 years, 10 years? We don't know. But every, every day of his life, he must have got up and said, maybe this is the day. Maybe this is the day I'm going to get to have my eyes fall upon the son of righteousness. He'd wake up the next day and go to bed and say, well, I guess it wasn't today. Ah, but next, tomorrow. So he'd go to bed with excitement, anticipation. But finally, he sees the long-promised Messiah. And he basically probably almost knocks over Joseph and Mary, snatches up the kid in his arms and holds him up to the Lord and says these words, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, as I said, upon seeing him, he's swept up into his arms and he's blessing God. And he, we don't know whether he was saying this or singing this quite possible, could have been either one. But there was a lot of singing that was done in that time in the Old Testament. There was a lot of singing. Now, it might not sound like singing to me and you. It would be more almost like a, a chant uh, than it would be a song like we sing uh, as we did today, like Amazing Grace. Uh, by the way, thanks, guys. And uh, girls. Um, and uh, so it, it might have been. We don't know. But it, it goes in what is considered one of the great songs in the Nativity. And it has a Latin name, this experience of what Simeon was doing and what happened right off the bat there. It's called the Nunc Dimittis. And that simply is Latin for now dismiss. Basically, it's saying, God... Okay, I'm ready to go now. You've, you've given me, you've delivered on your promise. I'm ready to come home anytime because there's nothing else. I've seen it all. I've seen the salvation of Israel. I've seen the salvation of the world and microcosm to come. And so that's where that name comes from. But it's interesting that Simeon, didn't just pull this out of thin air. Once again, like so many we've heard before, he's going back into his Bible, into the Scriptures, and particularly into Isaiah chapter 49, 6. Listen. 
This is what he was thinking as he lifted up Jesus to God in praise. This is God speaking to the Messiah. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. He'll do that. But oh, so much more. I will, this is the Lord speaking to, his, to the Messiah, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Wow. That's why Simeon was jazzed. He knew in looking and holding this little baby in his arms, as he lifted him up to God, he said, I am seeing not just the deliverance and the salvation of my little tribe. I'm seeing what my God and what this, this Savior will do for the world. What an amazing event that was. This short, short song has two sections. The first celebrates the fulfillment of God's promise to Jesus personally. Remember another, another psalm where, where you, they is saying, Sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. That's God talking to the Messiah, to Jesus. This fulfillment of what Jesus would do personally. And the second part acclaims the provision of a Savior for the entire world, both Jews and Gentiles. Think about it. In one sense, we can say that salvation is a plan. There's a certain sense we can talk about the plan of God and salvation. But salvation is not only a plan, folks. It's a person. Salvation is a person. God's servant, Messiah himself, is Yahweh's salvation. And if you've got him, you've got salvation. If you don't have him, Jesus, the Messiah, there is no salvation for you or for anyone else who does not believe on the Son of the living God and trust him for salvation. He isn't just the one that we talk about. It's not a plan alone. It is a person who brings salvation to his people that trust in him. Now, there's a little bit of a darker cloud rolling in about now. The sword in verses 33 through 38. No doubt Mary and Joseph were, were absolutely blown away. They were amazed. Here's that word that Luke uses over and over and over again amazed, astonished. Here he is. He's using it again. They were amazed to hear this good news about this global gospel. They, they were just thinking, wow, how did we get to be here? They were no doubt excited. But they, no way they could have understood 
what this fully meant. They rejoiced, but how could they have really any concept of how far this thing would go that God is doing through their baby boy? But then, Simeon draws the blade, as it were, of bad news and pierces pierces Mary's heart. He uttered a further prophecy with its dark shadows of the cross that fell across mother and child. You may have heard it said that before, but you think of that serene scene we imagine of the birth of Jesus in his incarnation. And yet we do not realize, but this is where we begin to realize, that the cradle of Bethlehem cast a shadow of the cross. It cast, foretells the shadow of the cross. The cradle of Bethlehem, and that's exactly what Simeon is saying, Mary, this is a wonderful Savior, but it's going to cost you and him dearly to be involved in the plan and purpose of God to accomplish so great a salvation. So, listen. Why doesn't Luke now paint a rosier picture? Remember I told you last week that there was this guy, Augustus, that was the king of the world at that time. And yet he was not the real king. Luke just kind of brushed him aside. And yet, why doesn't Luke paint a really bright picture here? Why does he tell us about what Simeon goes on to say, it was so good at the first, it was wonderful. But why did you have to bring in the bad news? Just tell me good news. I, I, I want to just want the good stuff. Why doesn't Luke paint a rosier picture? Why didn't it paint a picture of Jesus, the true world ruler, the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior, the King of the world instead of Caesar? Well, he paints a different kingdom because Jesus is a different king. He is the rightful king, but he will not look like kings normally look. You see, once again, what would Jesus himself say? This kingdom is not, my kingdom is not of this world. He wasn't saying that he didn't have right to it all. He did, and he will, and he will have it all. But the time he said that to Pilate, he understood. These, most Nobody here gets yet where this is going. This is not how the king gets put on his throne. Remember, the way up is what? Down. In God's economy, in God's plan, in God's purpose. That's the way it rolls. 
It is an upside-down kingdom as far as the world sees, and often as we see. But in reality, it's the right-side-up kingdom, and it's the true kingdom that will prevail. And yet, Luke is being honest that if you want to wear, if you can't bear the cross, you've heard heard the expression, can't wear the crown. So, there is one other fixture in the temple besides this old guy, Simeon. Well, I said he was old. Maybe he wasn't. But anyway, whatever age he was, there's one other player that's in this story, a woman. And this one is old, and her name is Anna. And she was a prophetess, and she'd been ministering in the temple almost all her life. Lost her husband very early in life, and here she is in, in, in the 80s. And yet she, too, is waiting for something. She's waiting for the long-promised Messiah. This is the attitude. Uh, here's, what, here's what the text says at the end. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she too, just like Simeon, had been waiting and waiting because she knew that God had promised and she had foreseen that he would one day bring the consolation of Israel, that he would bring this redemption, particularly the redemption of Jerusalem. Now Luke does not tell us He does not tell us how the people all around that day that were witnessing this, how they responded to Anna's report. But Anna was going off. She was absolutely like a fire alarm. She was going off saying all these things. He, I see him now. I mean, her, her and Simeon obviously were connected. They were in the temple. They knew each other probably for a long time. And when she saw Simeon holding up, she thought, this is it. And then as a prophetess, she starts just gushing things about what God's Messiah will do. But what we don't know is how did the crowd respond to that? Did they all get down and say, tell us more, tell us? We don't know. I think perhaps Luke wanted us to think about not how the crowd might have responded, but whether what was the response of Joseph and Mary. You see, you can't, you can hardly imagine what they'd already been through and maybe how discouraged. Remember, Joseph had a, obviously had a real struggle. When uh, his girlfriend comes and fiance comes and tells him, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm pregnant, but uh, it has nothing to do with a man anywhere, anyhow. Uh, you know, this is from the Holy Spirit. You, you, you know, initially, there, there had to be. And so many times in this story, there would have been places where they were probably, what, what is going on here? What, 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 what how how are we to take these things in? Angels come to us. And we hear this story and another angel comes and we hear this and we see this and we see. 
what are we supposed to do with all this? And maybe these statements from Simeon and from Anna, these gospel-affirming statements and reports, were there given by God to fortify Mary and Joseph, to strengthen them in this situation that already she knows that there's this shadow and this sword that's hanging over her and her son. She's, and yet, they're telling her, don't lose sight of these great and glorious gospel promises for the world. And though you can't comprehend it, believe it, trust it, and no matter how dark it gets, I will be there and my word will be fulfilled. I believe there was a sense in which this was a, the whole thing was put forward to largely encourage Joseph and Mary. There may have been other reactions. We don't know, but we know it would have been a great boon to them both and to the challenges that were before them. You know before long, you know what's going to happen. They're going to be running from their lives into, into, into Egypt after Herod's trying to run them down. So they needed all the encouragement they can get. I'd like to close today and give you a quote from one of my favorite commentators. There is a strong lesson for all of us. Simeon epitomizes what it means to be a believer. While he was living, he lived in faith, believing that God would do what he promised and leaning into God's anticipation. However, having seen and understood Jesus as his salvation, Simeon, now Simeon is prepared for death. Or is he saying, Lord, there's nothing else. I've seen it all. There's nothing else I, that I need to wait for. You know, I just hope I could, you know, we're like that. We, well, that was great, but I just hope I can still have one more. No. He was satisfied. He was prepared for death. If the Lord called him, he was ready. That's what a Christian should be. When we know if that's the case, we should be willing. That's not to say that he died on the spot or soon after. The point is he was ready. Emotionally, spiritually, whenever that happened, he was not his was not a death wish, but a desire to be with God, only surpassed by the desire to serve God and be a blessing to others. That's what Paul said, remember? He said, you know, I, it's, I got two great choices here. If I, if I stay, I stay with you, and that's, that's, that's good. If the Lord calls me, that's, that's good too. It's all, it's all good either way. We can and need to have the same assurance as Christians. If we have seen and understood Christ as our Savior, then we are prepared to die. I'm not asking for it today. I doubt you are either. But if we're in Christ, ultimately death cannot have us. If we've seen and understood Christ as our Savior, then we're prepared to die. 
The process of death may be intimidating, but death itself has been swallowed up in victory. This is the attitude. Not that we should have, but that we would have if we really understood the glory that is awaiting us. If you and I really got it of what's on the other side of our life here, we, we, we wouldn't care. Either way, it would be Paul like, yeah, that's good, that's even better. We need that kind of encouragement in the days in which we live. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your holy word. Father, thank you for the, the kind providences. You know that you call your people to go through challenges in many ways through the ages. And Father, and yet you give encouragement. You fortify and you give us the gospel truth and strength to strengthen us that we can make it through no matter how difficult and ultimately that we, if we understand who is really waiting for us. Lord, grant us that comfort and that assurance as you did for Joseph and Mary so long ago. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for.